And hello to you and welcome to the Richard Nichols podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols and this is episode 164. It's titled Wooden Legs and Excuses. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. Hello all, it's December. Well, if you're listening to this now anyway, for all I know, for you it's mid-June. But for me right now, it's December. I know, because the temperature has dropped, (laughs) the evenings are dark, and every single tree in my neighbourhood seems to have been able to spew their leaves all over my back lawn. I'd go and rake them all up, but don't know about you, but it's due to be quite windy this afternoon, and they'll just blow everywhere. I live on the top of a hill, you see, really high up and really windy, so there's no point in raking the leaves. I can't rake the leaves, it's too windy up here, but you know... What do you expect when the conditions aren't right? I can't change the weather and I can't change the altitude of my garden, so there's nothing I can do, is there? It's not my fault that it's windy. What do you expect of me? Now then, you might have had some conversations like that yourself at some point in the past, either being the one listening or the one making the excuses. And this process reminds me of what a psychiatrist in the 60s named Eric Byrne used to call the wooden leg game. If you imagine a man with a wooden leg who used this leg as an explanation for why his life is so unfulfilled. And he says things like, if it wasn't for this wooden leg, I could have been an athlete. Or when he complains that he's unemployed, he says, what do you expect from a guy with one leg? And the wooden leg game can hold us back from enjoying life and feeling fulfilled. And there are many things that can be your version of a wooden leg. People will say, yes, I have alcohol problems, but what do you expect from the child of alcoholic parents? Or, of course I have trust issues. If you've been cheated on as much as I have, you'd never trust men either. And I think it's worth looking at these as explanations for why we feel the way we do, and not excuses. Understanding why we behave or think or feel the way we do might help us to move on, but we have to analyse what we're doing now that reinforces these excuses. Sometimes we even use someone in our family as our wooden leg. You know, we can say, oh yeah, I'm lonely, but what do you expect? If it wasn't for my wife wanting me home every night, I'd be able to see my friends more. Or we use our social class as a wooden leg to hold ourselves back from applying for jobs because maybe they don't identify themselves as someone who's successful. Yet it's not what happens to us, but how we react to it that either holds us back or moves us forwards. I was chatting to a friend once about where he grew up in Northern Ireland and I knew there was a lake near there. So I just assumed that it was quite a pretty nice place. And, he, and I said, oh, it's nice there, isn't it? And he, he put his drink down and he went, no, it's the poorest town in the county, in the poorest county in the country, in the poorest country in the UK. Oh, I couldn't wait to get away from there. There were no opportunities at all. And I thought, all right, that's a fair point. But he said, later on, we were talking about his family and things, and he, and he mentioned his, 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 his brother must have felt the exact opposite. At least that's how I looked at it, because... Despite having the same upbringing, by the same parents, 
with the same experiences. His brother had accepted that the town had no opportunities and put up with it and stayed there. Now, this friend of mine, he's quite a successful guy. He's been the CEO and MD of quite a few different successful companies. He even had an OBE for his work in promoting um, British engineering overseas, I think it was. And a couple of weeks ago, he climbed up to the base camp of Everest. He's a driven guy. He's a driven character. But what do you expect from a guy from the poorest town in the UK? And I wonder, did that town do that to him? Did he become successful despite his hometown, having no prospects? Or did he become successful because of it? Maybe he wouldn't have had the drive to strive for greater if where he was had been nice enough. If you Google successful people who grew up poor, which I did earlier, there's a whole stack of folk. Oprah Winfrey, J.K. Rowling, Ralph Lauren, Steve Jobs, Charlie Chaplin, so on and so on. The list goes on. It reminds me of something from a couple of years ago. A bit of backstory. I grew up in a fairly average old town called Bedworth, near Coventry. It was always seen as sort of the little brother to the cities and towns that are around it. And in the past, it's, eh, it's it's been a bit rough, to be fair. Its history is a bit dark. Quite sad, really, if you go back a couple of hundred years. A lot of people starved to death there. Uh, and I think those foundations set a, a precedent, really. It's, it's a working-class town with working-class attitudes, and it's rare for anyone from there to accomplish anything, really. And if you look at the Wikipedia page for Bedworth, or Bedworth, as the residents name it, most of the notable people who supposedly lived there just went to school there but lived somewhere else. Anyway, a few years ago, the owner of uh, a Bedworth building firm became chairman of a local football team. And the front page of the Bedworth Echo was Bedworth boy done good! Exclamation mark. As if it was unusual. And, you know, maybe it was. But what's holding everyone else back from doing good? Are they all using their coal-mining hometown as a wooden leg, I wonder? I once heard someone say that they were given some sympathy at a pedestrian crossing because they were in a wheelchair. A stranger took pity on this woman and said, it must be horrible to be trapped in your wheelchair. And the woman in the wheelchair couldn't believe that someone would ever think that way about it because to her, the wheelchair had liberated her. If anything, she was trapped in the house without it. That wheelchair gave her freedom, not entrapment. It's interesting that what one person sees as a reason to be held back, someone else sees as the exact opposite. Now, as a therapist, I regularly see clients who have had some awful experiences in their life. They've had depression and anxiety, and they've been through some really traumatic things. You know, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Unfortunately for me, it's hard to challenge it. Because they rarely say, yes, I have depression, but what do you expect from someone who was abused? Because the fact that they've come for therapy means that they know that they shouldn't feel the way they do anymore. They recognise that their emotions and reactions belong in the past. And maybe that's where anyone with these sorts of experiences needs to start. That having such traumatic experiences explains why They can be prone to depression and anxiety, but not excuse them from learning how to feel better. The thing is, this process isn't always conscious. Sometimes in the back of our mind, almost totally unconscious to us, is the idea that if we can't use it as an excuse anymore, 
then we've only got ourselves to blame for our failures. And that's quite scary, blaming ourselves, taking responsibility for our own actions, especially as it's hard when you've got maybe 30 years of programming in your head that says you have to hide in order to be safe. I guess it's about what's often called in psychology as our locus of control. Locus is just a technical word for location. And we use this phrase locus of control to try and help people understand about where they feel their life is being controlled. It's a range between internal and external. Is it you that controls your life or the external world? Because although it's generally accepted that having an internal locus of control is better for us because if we feel that it's very much external then we can feel quite quite uh, insignificant but we don't want to feel that everything is our own fault either we need that comfortable middle ground that is slightly more internal than external people who feel they're quite far on the external locus of control end of the range say that they feel that their life is in some way already mapped out for them by some predetermined destiny and they're far less likely to be happy because they tend to believe that their own behavior doesn't matter a great deal because any rewards in life are generally outside of their control they become the pessimists who are less likely to apply for a job because they believe that the successful candidate has already been chosen they're even less likely to vote in an election because they feel that their vote wouldn't count yet someone with an internal locus of control who doesn't tend to think that destiny or luck plays a particularly big part in determining what happens in their life, they're usually the happy optimists who don't tend to see themselves as a victim. They're more likely to be optimistic because they can easily imagine the outcomes that they want in life as well as the steps they need to take to make it all happen. They learn from their mistakes and don't see that their past experiences shape their future. Yes, It's better to have that sort of attitude, but it can be really hard to let go of our wooden legs and excuses because it means challenging so many thoughts and beliefs about self, about the type of person we identify as, how we fit in with the world around us. But it's important not just for the big things, but for the little things too. Of course, challenge the major things, the thoughts that no man is trustworthy because you were sexually assaulted once, but... Also challenge the thought that says, I don't have time to practice mental relaxation exercises because my job is too hectic. Or I can't eat healthily because I don't have time in the morning to prepare anything. If we can see that we are ultimately in control of our life, not the external factors that we can't do anything about, then we're in a great position to start making some positive changes. And I need to practice what I preach here. Because long-time listeners will know that I've been asking for feedback for a few years now about how frequently people would prefer to listen to these episodes. And an enormous percentage would like weekly episodes, not monthly ones. And it's been my intention to make one every Monday morning for the best part of about five years, but the financial cost has been my wooden leg. I've been using the fact that it takes a few days of preparation to make just a single episode as an excuse as to why I can't make the time to produce more. Because it does take time. I don't just sit in front of a microphone, open my mouth and hope for the best, even though it might sound like I do. But other podcasters can make the time. Because all they've had to do is just get a sponsor. 
that pays them a wage so they can take a day off once or twice a week to do it. And I am regularly emailed about sponsorship opportunities. And they keep coming in. Every other day there's something that comes in from somebody. So what's stopping me? There's an opportunity here to do exactly what I've always wanted. To get a day off from private client work once per week to make a podcast episode. And so actually, I've drawn a line in the sun now. Because I'm not going to use that excuse any longer. I'm going to take a risk and make some weekly ones. Although I'm not going to use a sponsor to pay for it though. Because I, it doesn't feel right to do that. I'm not... I'm not going to take money to pretend I like something. It's it's hollow and, well, just inappropriate. And actually, not everyone, as I've realised over these last few years of having this survey on my website, not everyone wants weekly episodes. To some people, it clogs up their podcast feed and puts people off from listening because there's too many to choose from. They just come too often. So I've decided to open up a special patron-only weekly podcast series just for those who want it. And I don't know if that's going to be 10 people or 100 people, but the more there are, the cheaper it's eventually going to be. But for now, it's going to be about a fiver per month. And I'm going to use Patreon to do it, which is set in US dollars only, which might be confusing. So it's $7 at the minute, but I'll I'll monitor the value of the pound and it'll always be around a fiver. Unless, of course, I get thousands of patrons, in which case I can drop it considerably, obviously. And for that... You'll also get access to all of my previous episodes as well. There's, as you probably know, or maybe you don't, but there's about 50 in fifty episodes in the public feed. And there's, there's another 60 previous ones that you'll also get. And I'm going to make you a weekly hypnosis or meditation track too. And moving forward, there might be other personal development courses as well. Like I say, it depends on how many patrons I get, but I'll make it worth the money. If you'd like to support the podcast, but you don't want all this extra stuff... I'm going to add a $1 level to the Patreon platform too, so you can chuck me 70p per month towards a a cuppa. And the more that do that, the more likely I'm able to provide this whole thing for nothing eventually. Who knows? But I can't use my mortgage as my wooden leg anymore. I can't have something that was holding me back from doing this or a fear that deep down no one values what I do. There's only one way to find out, isn't there? So all this is going to start in the new year. December doesn't feel the right time, but January is so often a line in the sand for people's personal development, so it seems right to do it then. And if you subscribe to my newsletter by going to richardnichols.net, then I'll let you know all about it via email and give you all the links if you want to be a part of this. And if you don't, then you can enjoy the monthly episodes and still live happily ever after. Exciting times, folks. Now, a few shout-outs before I go today, because it's the end of the year, and about time, really. Firstly... Lee Beat and the Beat family listening in Birmingham, a very, very, very big hello to you because I was responding to a few Facebook messages the other day and there was a message in the junk mail that went back about 12 months ago from Lee asking for a shout out. I don't know why Facebook junk mailed you, Lee, but it's prompted me to check that folder on a regular basis from now on, just in case there's more. So, hi there, Lee, and the whole... I'll just wave then, you can't see me. Hi! Hi there, Lee, and the whole Beat family, and hello to all you lovely folk who took the time to leave some iTunes reviews. Madge in the UK, Mickey in the US, Bob Hurd in the UK, Lelina in Brazil, Anna Tiger Lily in the UK, Matt from France, Stella in the UK, and someone just calling themselves Pen Name 99 in the US. Hello to you all. 
Um, there's also the Facebook ones. Sarah Stewart, Natalie from Hyde, Nikki from Oldham, Emily from Texas, and Carolyn, I think, from Portsmouth. Thank you for leaving reviews. It does help other people to know what the podcast is about. It encourages people to listen and could maybe make a difference to someone's life. So thank you very much. So that's 2018, pod fans. Go forth. Enjoy December. And we'll chat again in the new year to some of you a bit more often too. So have a great Christmas and take care, folks. Bye.